I couldn't get a loan at 17 without my parents or whatever. I, I, I looked up, found in the paper somewhere who the president of fucking Fifth Third was. Took the elevator up there, walked in there and said, I want to speak to so-and-so. And they're looking at me, excuse me? I'm like, yeah, I got turned down for a loan. I need to speak to the president of this bank because I want to know why. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life, a blessing. Your dream. and then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Mom, wife, entrepreneur, um, beholden to everybody who is around me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what it's like to get employees today? Uh, hell. It's crazy. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a nightmare. Everyone I talk to, it's so sad. We're, we're okay. But we're essentially working for people who work for us. I don't mean that in a negative way. I think that yeah. I think the problem with the industry, with the, with the service industry, goes back that they were pimped and abused for so long, and then and then they got this. You know, even though as bad as COVID and shutting down was, what happened is a lot of these people like were like, "Wow, this is what it's like to actually not be chewed out, or you know, mm-hmm. you know, just." beat to death all the time and then they found other places to go and and they're not going back to those like those restaurants and places that are are saying no one wants to work or everybody's lazy and they're all collecting a check and i don't think that's it (laughs) i think they just said you know i i don't need to go through that anymore and i think all those people who who cause that stress and trauma are suffering the consequences now you know what i mean Yeah, that's really and, interesting. Uh, but then it has a ripple effect. Oh, definitely. Like, so the most shocking thing I think to me is when we opened a still house here is, you know, just how hard it is for these folks who have, who came here with experience in that industry to get them to trust me. Mm. It was crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it's just now, you know, six months into it. I feel like they're like, okay. And she says something, she means it. You know, she does care, you know, that we don't work in a condition that's dangerous, either, you know, water on the floor or a high decibel um, from a DJ that's gone rogue. You know, um, I think really? they are starting to believe that, you know, that they actually matter. It's, it's insane. I've never experienced that before. I, I think it's really interesting, like, the that you said there um, – finally they're like willing to trust you mm-hmm. wow isn't that a sad state of affairs you know i mean i i've never taken a job that i didn't feel like i could trust my leader i mean i'm sure i've had leaders that i probably couldn't but <laughs> i you know what i mean but i mean I, i've been very lucky and if i didn't trust them i'd be out of out of there and i don't think people felt like they had the freedom to say i'm out of there Right? Isn't that what they're telling us? Yeah, I mean, so like right now, it's it's the the pendulum has swung exactly opposite. You know, you can walk out of here today and literally within five minutes have a post on one of the the forums that you look at have a job, a bartender or a restaurant server, or whatever, and you'll get a hundred offers. Mm-hmm. But 
in, in the past, you know, it was like you wanted to work for the places that were busy, the places that were, you know, you could make the most money. And so you basically were pimped for your shift. Like mm-hmm. you get everything out of that person. They absolutely possibly can. And, um, which was wrong. That's not how, Yeah, that's not how it's supposed to be. You know, this is not, you know, it's not supposed to be like that. And I mean, I'll, I, I'll tell you the, the most extreme example was, um, we had an, an, a promoter do an event here and this guy, you know, we met with him mm-hmm. and we sat down and we talked about his event and how we wanted to handle it, what we could do to make it, you know, the best we could make it. And, um, he expected 300 people and we sat down, we asked him like, what kind of drinks do your, your clientele normally have? Because we you know we make our stuff here and we wanted to make sure if there's a particular brand or a particular, you know, style of beer or, or whatever, he, we had it. And he told us and he gave us all this information and we went so far as to say, okay, how much should we bring in? Because we don't sell a lot of, you know, these other products here. He told us. And so we moved forward and, we had his DJ come here, meet with our sound technician, understand the parameters, understand how to set up. You know, we went through a lot of different steps prior to having the event. And the day of the event, my staff's like, I'm here all the time. My staff's like, hey, Shell, don't worry about coming in Sunday. We've got it covered. You know, it's 300 people. You know, we'll be fine. You know, take a day off. I'm like, okay. And like, we know you'll pop in, but just, you know, don't, don't feel like you have to be here. And because I usually bust tables. So... That afternoon, you know, uh, it was a 4 to 9 p.m. And I popped in about 7 (laughs) o'clock. There were over a 1,000 people here. What? Over a 1,000 people here. I go down to my bar, and it is, there must have been 300 people coming to the bar, at the bar, stacked 300 people back, yelling, trying to get their, their drink orders in, and the staff was sitting here trying to say, mm. we don't have any more alcohol because they were severely understaffed and we didn't have what they wanted. The DJ had overridden our controls. The decibel level was dangerous in this building. And I, I couldn't even yell to anyone to like, what's going on? And they were just looking at me and I'm screaming like, where's Erica, who is the GM? Mm-hmm. And I had to go outside and Erica and trying to please this crowd left to go to the liquor store to buy more of the alcohol. Oh my God. And, 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 and you know, so I didn't even know what to do. So within 15 minutes, I shut the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. Took the microphone, turned everything off. I, I said, you guys are beautiful. You're wonderful people. We were staffed for 300. There's easily a thousand people here. You've drank us out of alcohol. Please come back another time. We can try to do this again, but this is not how I can't do this. You know, my folks can't be put through this. No problems. Everybody left. I mean, within 30 minutes, the whole place was empty. But before I, I did that, there was a girl behind the bar. Her name's Riley. And I looked at her and she just looked like she was ready to cry. And I said, Riley, are you okay? And she's trying to work and, and, and she's like, no. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm like, do you want me to shut this down? And she just looked at me and a guy named Eric is like, yes. And I did. And I don't think that, I think when I did that, that was like, okay, she meant it. 
Like she yeah. does give two shits about us. Yeah. And it literally took them going through that. I mean, it was bad. And I told that the, the, the guy, I'm like, this was wrong on every level that you let this happen as yeah. a promoter. You have a duty and a responsibility to the staff that is here and, and what we set you up for. And, um, and they Nina needed that person. They needed that person to take a stand, to take care of them and to protect them. And you know what I, I just realized? Them. Can I interrupt just for a minute? I realized that we got so excited to get started listeners that I didn't introduce <laughs> Michelle Hobbs, <laughs> who is a mom wife. Although actually I think what I'm going to have, uh, my engineer do is just to keep in the beginning of this. So listeners, you heard the very beginning, which you don't usually hear when we do this. So Michelle said, say I'm a mom, a wife, an entrepreneur, and she's beholden to everyone around her. Uh, she's also the founder of pet wants and OTR Stillhouse, which Michelle, I want you to talk about OTR, which you still house, which you just were, but I want you to share the story on how you got to buy that building and everything. Um, and I also want to say that I'm so excited that you're on this podcast today because we had the best time when I got to moderate that panel you were on and you are just, you're a bright, shiny star. You're a badass that's, motherfucker. Okay. That's you're a badass <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah. So, okay. So okay. welcome. We just did our proper welcome. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi. Oh, Hi. So, but can, can I can, just really yeah, fast finish that and then finish that? Yeah. Do I it. asked when everything was cleared out in here yeah. and there were two takeaways from that. One is that I asked them, guys, you know, why, why didn't you do anything? Like, why didn't you, you why didn't you shut it down? Like, well, you, you don't have to do that. And they all looked at me like I had three heads. And, and one of the guys were like, because any place else we've ever been in those situations, you were told, get through it, push through it, shut up, keep your head down and just go. And that was mind blowing. And the other part was, uh, someone said to me, so you're not mad at us because we couldn't oh. keep up. And I'm like, are you, are you fucking kidding me? No way. I'm like, That'll never happen again. I said, I promise to you, that will never, ever, ever happen again. And, you know, we learned a lot from that. And now I've got contracts. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's, Michelle, so, that, so this industry has gone through some crap. And I think that there's a reckoning happening right now. And, you know, it is what it is, folks. We got to live through it. And hopefully, you know, the, the, the people who are good to people come out on top. I also and the favorite think restaurants and stuff that you had for years that you wanted to keep going to, they'll still be there if they are the right people, you know, if, if they take care of their people and if they're not, they won't. And also I think as somebody, as a patron, it's my responsibility to be extra kind and grateful to that person that's serving me. Yeah. And I am I'm like, you know what? Thank you so much for today. And I wouldn't have appreciated that three years ago, two years ago. I wouldn't have. But I do now. We, we have an amazing staff, and I get comments all the time on both the pet ones and you know my pet ones folks. They've been with me for you know some of them ten years. I mean, and some seven, some six, some five. I mean, and it's a small business, but we've got long term uh, staff, and and the, the folks here now, they've been here with us, and the, the, 
I get comments all the time how wonderful our staff is. And I'm like, tell them, let them know. Michelle, can you explain uh, Pet Wants and then also OTR Stillhouse, what those two businesses are? So Pet Wants is a business I started back in 2010. And I was founded on the uh, premise that I had a very sick dog. Things weren't working. It, it boiled down to nutrition. Um, did a couple different things. We, we, we decided that we would uh, sell it by the pound at farmer's markets. We would go after, you know, people who were already looking for healthy, you know, foods for themselves and buying fresh ingredients and cooking at home. So we started like that. And then we do um, all of our handmade treats. We've got a kitchen on Vine Street across the street from um, the Eagle and over the Rhine. We do all kinds of handmade, we roll hand roll cookies there. We, and everything has a hint of health in it. There's something in everything we do. And there's an ingredient that adds a little, uh, benefit to your pet, but, um, just fresh, uh, amazing products is, comes out of pet wants. And then 2017, um, I exited the franchise piece. I started franchising in 2015 with a group here. And then, um, I kind of like backed out of the day-to-day of the franchising to focus more on my stores and then, um, uh, the, the distillery piece of it as well. And, uh, 2017, uh, come across a guy named uh, Chris Mitchell. He's a great brewer in town. Uh, Chris has been with me since then. And uh, he is our distiller and he is our brewer and uh, he makes our wine and he makes our seltzers. He is, you know, makes pretty much him and uh, his assistant back there, John Funchen. Um, those two guys are producing all the product we sell at the Stillhouse. And we are a beverage company, essentially, if you look at it in that sense. But in the nation, there's not anything like OTR Stillhouse um, that at all because of all of the products that we make in-house. Like when we say craft, it literally is craft. All of it's made here. And Wait, what is that? Point, I don't even know when they when people say the word craft, what that really means. That you term. know, I guess that it's like it's like house made, or it's 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 made by hand. It's made by you know in, in old school methods. You know, you know, the, 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 by original craft work. Um, mm-hmm. People who are in that trade. It's I guess it's a it's a pretty gotcha. big circle, but um, you know, you know, I mean, I dug a well to get to the water. I know. Tell that story. Tell that story. Well, I mean, you know, when I got this property here and over the Rhine, I, I, I got it on behalf really for some needs I had for pet wants. But when I was able to get this, it's almost three quarters of an acre and over the Rhine flat land. And I'm like, you know, people like me, this doesn't come across very many times this opportunity. So I'm like, I better make damn sure I do something smart. Wait, with wait, it. wait, what do you mean people like you? You know, and if you look at Over the Rhine, all the same people own all the product, you know, it's, you, you don't have to look too far in the auditor's, you know, website to see who owns the property in Over the Rhine. So, um, it, you know, it's, and it I want weird. you to tell how you've got that property too, but keep going about the well. Yeah. So, so, um, and, and when I, I had to give an SBA loan, the SBA requires a, an EPA study. So I had to do an EPA phase one study it was $5,000 just to basically go back and say, there's never been um, a gas station on this property, or there's never done any kind of disruption beneath the, the ground. Well, in 1891, I got this map and it called out the standard ice manufacturing company on this property then. And then in 1899, this building was erected out back. And I'm like, holy shit, that's an ice house from 1891 and 1899. Like, that means that, I mean, there was no public services back then, you know, so they had to be drawing water out of the ground. Um, So, you know, just like anybody, my brain went to water to whiskey. (laughs) 
And so um, I, I uh, secured watertowhiskey.com. Um, and then um, that was in February of 2014 that I got the property. In 2014 in June, I uh, uh, registered with the state of Ohio, the Born Again Distillery. That was the original name. <laughs> yeah, that one didn't stick. Okay. So um, some people taught me out of that. Yeah. But yep. to me, it was born again distillery because it was, you know, over the run was being reborn. I mean, you know, and there was a yeah. lot of distilleries back in the day and prohibition happened and it wiped them all because they're all small. And so this was going to be born again distillery. And um, there was at the time there weren't any other distilleries in um, over the Rhine. So I'm like, I'll be the first and it's born again. Well, I love that. Uh, listeners, for those of you that. that are not from Cincinnati, this is a part of our downtown area called Over the Rhine. Michelle, tell the story about how you found the property. Well, yeah. So when I saw that on there, I just I just had to find out if that was water it could be used. And so we 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 dwelt, we drilled 143 feet deep, <laughs> had a rig in Over the Rhine drilling for water. It was hilarious. And uh, we hit the water. Now, the, the drawback right now is, is that we're not using the water to the full capacity of what I think that we can be doing here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be able to do that down the road. There are some there's some few things that are kind of, let's just call them political issues, I think. Um, it, it, it's like, I can't sell bottled water here. Why? And you can't sell bottled water. You can't sell bottled water with the, the water comes out of your faucet. It's only for your personal consumption because somewhere along the line, when uh, people started, people, uh, PepsiCo, you know, um, these companies started bottling water. Somebody went to Columbus, knocked on a few doors and said, you know what? We need to make a law that people can't sell bottled water with their own water in their houses. And, uh, and it passed. So in the state of Ohio, you own the mineral rights beneath your land. Okay. So if I was right now trying to sell uh, gold or oil or fracking rights or gas yeah. or, you know, whatever, it would be fine. I could sell it. I could find buyers. I could sell it all day long. Okay. I can even rent you and I can give you uh, access to my property and you can take it and leave it. And then I, 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 you know, you pay for all that and then I get money back, you know, but when it comes to water, no, it's only for your personal consumption. And that prohibits anybody from making money off of water. Wow. Meaning that, you know, going down to the banks on us, you know, on a, a, a on during the playoffs that aren't happening this year. And with coolers for the water, it says, you know, Sarah Brown's, you know, beautiful, you know, water. And you can't do that. Only certain people are, are going to, it's harder probably to get a license to manufacture and bottle water than it is distilling it, distilling uh, liquor, to be honest. Because it's so easy. Because it's so easy. So right now you're not doing, you're not selling the water. All right. I can't do it the full capacity, What I, my, my, my concept. But we did it. You know, we've got a water treatment for a plant downstairs. We're regulated under the Department of Agriculture. And we're only allowed to use it in certain capacities. And that's okay for now. And when I have the money and a, you know, the ability to get an attorney who would take this, we'll win it. Because you can't, you can't pick and choose the mineral rights that are available to sell, you know, you mm. just can't say, Oh, you can sell all of these, but you know what? You can't sell the water. Right. You know, all I've got to do is prove that my water's clean. I've got to test, you know, test it. I got to carry the liability on it, all those things. So that's just something that, you know, when I have the money to hire an attorney, can I ask a question? So like how much that's what water can you get? <laughs> You're right. How much water can you get out of that? Well, 
So that is a um, the Great Miami Valley Aquifer, and it's filled. And, and it's from a, a glacial that ha- a glacial slide that you know from millions of years ago that created the Great Lakes. Wow! So that water is all underneath the ground. All these different tributaries actually seep down through the earth, and it and it, it keeps that filled. It is it is endless. Um, there were some out out west, but they uh, they learned how to empty those and drain those. But mm-hmm. this one here is a massive aquifer. It goes hundreds and hundreds of miles. You know, a new riff they pull from it to use it in their spirits. So okay, does that's the, another brewery. The mm-hmm. Distillery, uh, a wonderful distillery. Uh, independently owned distillery over in Newport. And then so does the, um, the old, we, I call it the MGP plant over in, in uh, Lawrenceburg, Indiana, which is also known as Seagram's, the old Seagram's plant. Um, they use the water from the aquifer, same aquifer. Um, Dayton and uh, our Hamilton up in that area, they, their city water is drawn from that. The city of Cincinnati draws a lot of water from that aquifer that is dispersed, dispersed throughout the city. Um, it's not a hundred percent, but it's a, it's a great percentage of it. Um, it's just a, it's a great resource. Will you tell the story of how you got that building? I mean, so Pet Wants uh, grow, uh, was successful early and rapidly because of our products and our service and, um, and the integrity of what we were doing. So um, with that came some challenges. I make my product once a month. And so I, had, I was running out of place, you know, it was Finley Market was too small. And then I put a place down on uh, Vine Street where the kitchen is. And um, I, at that time, I went to 3CDC and there was no one down here where I am now. None of that stuff was open, nothing. Um, the Kro- wait, old Kroger ex- was ex- open. Explain what 3CDC is because people out of town don't know what that is. Uh, it's a development uh, corporation put together by um, some large corporations here that uh, saw a demand for a vibrant downtown urban um, uh, experience in the city. You needed to have that for them to be able to recruit people to come live here because at the time we did not have a vibrant downtown uh, entertainment you know, district and now we do. Um, it's really awesome. But um, at that time, like I approached 3CDC and I said, look, you need me down here more than I need to be here. So give me a good deal on a space and I'll open up a, a retail store seven days a week. And uh, so we did got a little deal on that. And I quickly outgrew that. And the same thing, I didn't have places to put our product. And so I was looking, this is about, you know, right, not long after the recession in 2007, like 2010, 2012 in that area. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, I thought myself, I'm like, I, if I need to find somebody who's slow pay, like I was thinking I'm going to find somebody who's paying their taxes late on a regular basis and maybe had hit some trouble during that time paying their bills that I'm going to help him out. They'll help me out kind of thing. So I, I went through the auditor's um, website and, you know, and it's pulled up streets and over the Rhine and I was going, you know, <laughs> page by page. And as great as that website is, it's very clunky to move around in. So it's very cumbersome, but mm-hmm. I was looking for people who were slow pay on their taxes. And then I would look at the pictures, like, do they have a dock? And, you know, look, what's their space look like? And can I get a truck in there? And it took quite a lot of time, but I came across this property um, on uh, Central Parkway. And it was $243,000 in the rears. And that 
was unheard of. So when I saw that number, I'm like, gosh, that must be a massive place to be. Cause that's like Hamilton County, you get behind one or two payments and, and you know, somebody else in the city owns that property. That's how they get it. You know, they look for delinquencies and they go in and they say, yeah. you know what, they're not paying and they can't pay. And then it gets, it's moved to somebody else mm-hmm. who can't pay that debt. So, and I thought, wow, who's in that much trouble? Well, I go look at it and it's a freaking house. I'm like, how's this house? How is that? I mean, that probably can be worth that, you know. So I looked on the overhead, you know, Google Maps, and I'm like, Jesus, this is a massive place. Got my car to drive around and look at what, you know, what the back was like. And I couldn't get back here. I couldn't find my way back here because it's in this really secluded alley. Like kind of, you got to find yeah. your way. Yeah. And finally found my way. And I sit there and I'm like, look, and I'm like, what the heck is this place? Took a couple of pictures, did some more research. And then found out the bank, you know, had it. End up having to get a lawyer because the bank wouldn't talk to Michelle. They had to talk to Michelle with an attorney God. designation behind them. So, um, and in fact, the, the, that place was delinquent at the bank, but the bank was like, look, it wasn't on our hot list. Um, they were so busy, these national banks at that time for years, they were taking care of those properties that were delinquent, that had broken windows, falling gutters, overgrown weeds, squatters, neighbors complaining, you know, uh, people saying that these houses are abandoned. My, my, my values of my house is dropping in my neighborhood because of these abandoned, neglected buildings. Yeah. So these banks were becoming basically property management companies trying to go out and take care of these delinquent, you know, homes that were empty. And reclaiming them and then fixing them and selling them. all. So this property was sitting here for, you know, several years on that list. But no one's calling the bank. You know, there's no broken windows. The neighbor's calling. The city's not saying, hey, you know, taxes. Like, no one's doing anything. So it's on that low priority, priority list. Mm -hmm. And so when I called them, they're like, you know, the attorney, they said, Yes, that is in foreclosure. It's not filed with the courts yet. What? What you? What you get somebody interested? And I'm like, oh yes, I'm interested. And so um, I was able to buy this property, and it's mind blowing. And and I I didn't even I didn't tell anybody. This th- I found the property in August of 2000, and um, what was it? 2016. Okay. No, 2013, 2013. I got it in, in February of 2014. So it took that long. Had to be really quiet about it because I knew it would be snatched right out from underneath me. But I, I got the property for $225,000 and this, and the bank paid off the Hamlin County debt. Gosh. Michelle, how big is the property? About three quarters of an acre. With, with, with buildings on it. Insane. Right? So when, when that happened, I'm like, holy crap. You know, this is something, that's a gift. This is something that's bestowed upon you. You better make damn sure, you know, you respect how the universe put this to, to you. You know, I've worked a lot all of my life, worked hard, and, you know, I feel like I've earned everything I've d- done, right? Mm-hmm. But this year, I'm like, wow. I hadn't earned this, you know, like who, like, that's crazy that this is here. And then I'm like, okay, now what I got to do, what do I have to do to earn this and make sure that this debt is repaid at some point where to, to me, you know, to the universe. 
So creating jobs, creating something for our city, making this thing um, uh, something that doesn't exist, something that we can all be proud of, something and it's that also, And also it's a community. You know, you bring yeah. people together. Did you know that, did you know immediately what you wanted to do with the property or did that take a little bit? Well, no. I mean, so remember, I got it in February of 2014 and, and, uh, and in June of two, uh, 2014, I registered Born Again Distillery. I mean, I'm sorry, but every time you say the name, I just get born again. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Hey, you know what? Some people I love can't. it. I know, Some I know. It. No, I, and actually, the I think a lot of people was would. BAD bad. What? What was bad? The acronym Born Again Distillery is bad. Well, maybe it'll come back around. Maybe you should uh, change it. No, it's over. No, it's over. no, no. It's over. I mean, our, we've got a really good jump start on our branding. Someday when I can afford a marketing company, our branding is fucking top notch. Yes. I mean, it really is. And, I love um, this space. I think it's amazing. It's It's got such great energy. Over the years, I've coached executives and young professionals looking to embrace their strengths, level up their leadership, and find their dream careers. Just like my podcast guests, my clients have been stuck, but I've helped them navigate whatever challenge they're facing and find a way forward. That's the goal of our 10-week coaching program, Move Forward. Through my guests' best practices, our coaching tools, my team and I will help you discover your primary motivations and challenge the unhealthy and limiting beliefs that are holding you back. You'll use neuroscience to create new healthy habits and create a move forward plan for your future. If you're interested, you can visit failforwardpod.com backslash coaching to learn more and to sign up for a one hour exploratory coaching session. That's failforwardpod.com backslash coaching. Michelle, I want to talk to you about, um, I want to talk to you about what you just mentioned like when given a gift that you felt the responsibility that you had to do something with that. And I'm curious, where did that belief system come from? Parents, like, can you share some background about you, about your family and stuff? Well, I mean, I, th- I think like I come from the West side. Um, so I'll tell you a, a simple little thing about the West side that kind of like, is kind of like, happened in my life early on. I wanted to buy a motorcycle. I was 16 years old and 17. And so I couldn't get a loan at 17 without my parents or whatever. And, um, I didn't understand. I I went to fifth third bank and I was denied a loan because they said I didn't have enough credit history. And I'm, and I'd had a car, I'd paid off car. I'd had a job. I'd I'd worked all through school. I had a a checking account that had been open for years. It's the same account I have now. There's, there's seven digits in my checking account. That's the whole checking account. And so, um, I just was so mad about it. And they, and then, and the branch said no, and, and they wouldn't loan it to me. And I naive, I took the bus downtown to Fifth Third. I, I, I looked up, found in the paper somewhere, back then I don't know when, how, who the president of fucking Fifth Third was. Took the elevator up there, walked in there and said, I want to speak to so-and-so. And they're looking at me, excuse me? I'm like, yeah, I got turned down for a loan. I need to speak to the president of this bank because I want to know why. <laughs> and um, 
I didn't know. I didn't know. So, so somebody was walking by, like this guy was walking behind me. It's like you would see in a movie, like, like, and you slip in the door and, and then it was the guy and it was like the old time, like the, the on this floor, like those two big doors open up and this Stop is this it. guy's Stop office. Stop it. Stop it. Honestly. So, and, and then he buzzed her and said, send her in. And I went in and I sat down he started asking me questions and I answered all the questions and stuff and, and everything. And then at the time I had this, um, I had a Camaro, a 1976 Camaro. Awesome. awesome. And, um, but, and I, and he was asking what assets I had. I told him and he's like, Oh, that Camaro. And he, and he, he's got a book, like the old Kelly blue book or something like that. He's looking up and he goes, yeah, the value of that. He goes, he goes, we'll just use that as collateral. Michelle, he goes, well, I, I can get this done. He said, you know something Because the reason I'm going to work with you, it's because you're from the West Side. He said, you know what? Westsiders pay their debts. Westsiders work hard. They pay their debt. If you look on the books at this bank, the West Side people pay off their debts, and I don't have problems with West Side. That's why. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And so now if you think about that, I'm from the West Side, and I learned all my life. You work. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a time in any of my schooling, I mean— did anybody ever say, you know, are you going to consider like what you're going to do after, after high school? Like, you know, you're going to go to school, college, what's your education? It was never spoke about. I mean, in our family, this was just nothing that was ever brought up. And um, so. Wait, you're saying going to college was never spoken about or um, talking about what you were going to do after school was never spoken about? School, like any continuing education, it was like, where are you going to work? Got it. What job are you going to keep? You know, did you and go so, to college? Um, no, I look at barely got high school. I'm gonna let me just say something. Okay, I did go to college, whatever. But I I learned more from real life, and I think college is a little bit overrated at times. You know, I look at the debt. You know that these guys and these kids coming out of college now, and you know, and um. It's, it's just, there's so many aspects of the world that I think is just fucked up. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and this goes back to that pendulum again. Like right now we need plumbers, we need carpenters, That's we right. need people. So guess what? Your trade schools that, which were wiped out and eliminated, all the trade schools, all the vocational schools from down in Kentucky and all these different communities are gone. And um, guess what? We're sitting here and, you know, your toilet overflows and you're going to be, you know, literally shit out of luck for a couple of weeks to get somebody in there. <laughs> where were your parents? Fact. Where did your parents grow up? Fact. Where did your parents grow up? Uh, Lex- like Lexington around. We moved around a lot. Like I lived in, I was born in West Virginia. We moved to Tennessee. We moved to Kentucky. My sister was born in Louisiana. My brother was born in Ohio. I mean, we're all, we were like nomadic. My father, my mom and dad, when, when they were 23 years old, they, they were, um, my mom was just a couple of months older than my dad, but when they were, by the time they were 23, there were four of us in the house. There were four kids and my mom and dad. And my dad uh-huh. in Tennessee worked at Dog and Suds, which is a, 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 a hot dog stand. And, okay. If you come here and you get a root beer, Chris Mitchell has was probably so mad at me because I I made him work harder on that root beer I think than anything else because I wanted it to be the root beer my dad brought home because that was what we celebrated. If we had something to celebrate, we brought he brought home a jug of root beer for us. 
So it, my, my mom has these diaries, and they're a freaking riot. But um, th- there's, there's, she would write down what we had for dinner and what the weather was. No. Yeah. And, and it was like beanie weenies, goulash, and leftovers and stuff. It was pretty funny. So we would be considered uh, a, a, a fairly poor family, right? There were people who weren't allowed to play with us. We were white trash. So People weren't allowed um, to play with you? Because, like, we rented. And so, you know, these neighborhoods and stuff, sometimes we would, we would move to, you know, the kids, like, were a different, you know, they, we were, like, these poor little trashy kids. <laughs> My mom was, oh my was my mama's home. My dad worked all the time, going back to work and ethic and stuff. So my mom's raising these kids. And in the diaries, they're hilarious because there's there's one uh, line that says, Shell has already destroyed more than she'll ever be worth. <laughs> Wait, say it again. Say it again. Shell has already destroyed more than she'll ever be worth. Oh, my God. And. I mean, it's it's hilarious. Some of these things that you you, you read, and um, my mom was raising these kids. My dad's at work all the time. She's home by herself with these yeah. crazy, you know, kids with no toys. You know what I mean? Like we like how many kids? Crazy. How many kids? Four. Four. That's what I thought. And we're all about a year, a year and a half apart. Oh man. Oh man. I mean, she's twenty three. Did your parents stay together? Oh my god. Um, they married off and on again, two or three times to each no, other. No, no, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. How long have you been married? Oh God. I have to look on the inside of my ring. Oh my God. I hope she doesn't hear this and say, Michelle didn't no, even know. No, man, it's the same way. We, we don't, we don't do dates. I think so. I, we've been together like 13 years, 14 years, and we've been married like 10 or 12. I don't mean no. So. I think I might have it on my calendar. Okay. We don't pay this attention to dates. You know what's funny? Her parents will send us like her parents send us cards for our anniversaries, and, and that's what tips us off. <laughs> and, but you, and the other thing is too, you have to remember like this is different too. Yeah. Okay. Tell me. Gay people, gay people aren't like straight people. Okay. So we we when we met, yeah. gay people always used their first date as their anniversary because you could never get married. Oh. So the only relevant date was your first date. Michelle, what, like what time frame did you come out? Like nineties thousand, like what, what I'm trying to like figure I was out. A junior in high school in between junior year. It was, it was in between junior and senior year. I came out. What, what era is this? Year. Yeah. Year. Give me the year, man. 1979. <laughs> Okay, I thought you were my age. You're a little older. Okay. A little. A little bit. 1979. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 70s. So this is not the norm in West Side, Cincinnati, Ohio? No, no, nope. no. No. Was nope. it hard? But I, I'm one of those people that uh, yeah. blessed in the fact that I didn't have any problems. Like I never had any of, that, of the pushback, you know, the people who knew in high school that was, we, we kept it between us, I'm still friends with most of them today. Um, I, I didn't have, you know, the parents that kicked you out, you know, um, I didn't have any of that stuff, you know, and, and I, I consider myself very fortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And um, um, it was, it was good too, because 
you know, it's, it was, I was happy then. I mean, I literally can remember not being happy all mm. of my life and not understanding because I didn't fit in. Like, see, when you're little, when you're a girl, you yes. can be a tomboy. But once the boys get to be about 9, 10, 11, they don't want to hang around girls. And so then you don't have anything. The girls you have no, you've, you've developed nothing with. And then you don't have anything in common. Like you physically and mentally and emotionally, I have no idea how to communicate to these girls my age. And I was very alone. But I, what I just did is I just was friends with everybody. So I had a, I had a million little friends. But no depth, no no relationships. So it developed your like initial connection with people, but then to get super, super deep, intimate, vulnerable, didn't happen as often. Trust, that goes back to that trust thing. I think that's one reason I can, I can identify trust so well and why it's so important to me with people like I'm working with. Like, I'm like, I knew they didn't trust me and, it, and I just was, it bewildered me. And it, and it was like, I have to fix that. Like, you know, cause I know what it's like to be somewhere like someone doesn't trust you because yeah, I you do. couldn't trust so many people for so long. When did that change? When did you start trusting more people? Almost immediately back in the eighties. Yeah changed right away it was like literally it was like literally a door open that's beautiful it was and and then you know because I had and it's you know so weird like back then just having like our school had a lot of people in it lots of people okay I think there were like 1200 people in our graduating class we graduated at the Coliseum downtown no way what was your school what was your school Oak Hills Oak Hills High School it's a huge school Right. Huge school. And um, I, I I would say I knew most of those people in my class. Wow. That's amazing. Because you, you, you know, and either by doing good deeds or just by floating around or whatever, you know, hanging in different groups constantly. And then so the other thing, too, when you do that, when you float in these pockets in these groups, um, you don't have to share much about yourself because you're in and out constantly. Yeah. And so therefore I could keep secrets easy. You know, no one knew me. So I don't, I think, you know, I don't drink, but one of the things that in the 12 step program is we often drink because we're keeping secrets. Right. And the important piece around being honest, uh, sharing secrets with others that are really close to your heart or make you vulnerable. And I, uh, I just think that keeping a secret is probably, it's like taking a poison pill. I, I just, I remember that day. I mean, I can remember the day I actually went into a gay bar outside the first time I was going in, like, and I had been already around gay people outside. I was, cause I was so young and I had to get a fake ID and all that stuff set up for a good bar. <laughs> but back then too, you could be 18 to get in the bar because that 3.2% beer yes, yes. and you got stamped. Right, right. So um, I can remember vividly. Parking my vehicle across the street from was called Adam's Rib. <laughs> it was a girls' bar. Okay, that's amazing. It was. It was a fun place. Adam's Rib. And um, oh my god, Adam's Rib. And so, um, do you think they would have liked Born Again? <laughs> yeah, they probably would have. Yeah. Well, a straight man, Nick. This guy, Nick, a straight guy. He owned this place. So. It was easy to do because when you owned a gay bar back then, you didn't have to spend a dime on advertising. Right. Once the gay community was there, it was packed every night. Yeah. 
So you had a community come in here and you didn't have to spend a dime on advertising. You don't see many gay businesses go out of business. They usually go out of business out as the owner ages out or something like that. Like it, it's, it's something, it's more um, cyclical and, 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 a, you know, and they don't have anybody to turn it over to. Like you can't like, right. you know, they don't have kids right. to, you know, so, so it was like, so, so anyway, so Nick was a straight man on this bar and I remember sitting there and I, and I, and I said to myself like out loud in this sitting in the car. And I said, you walk through that door today, tonight, and your life changes forever. Any idea that someone ever said of being married in a white picket fence and kids, that is gone the minute you walk through that door. Hmm. And I'm like, cool, out the door. <laughs> it didn't take long because I didn't have those desires like most girls do. Right. Like I didn't have that thing. Except that you you are married. You do have kids. I don't know if you have a white picket fence. Uh, but it's rustic. <laughs> of course it is. It's, it's, it's rustic. But and, I'm and serious though, but I'm serious. Like you, I do understand you had to let go of a dream, but you're saying it wasn't really a dream for you, but it's interesting around. I had to let go of, of, of what reality was taught to everybody else. Yes. Like, this is what you think your life's supposed to be. Yes. And, and, and no one, not that I ever had that conversation with my mom or anything like that. We, you know, we just didn't have any talks like that. It's like, I'm like, I just knew it would be different. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the normal life that people thought was normal. Normal meaning that like a, a, a woman gets married to a guy and you have kids. Yes. Yes. That was yes. what was normal. Yes. You know, and, and, and people today still think that's normal, but the, that what changes as, as I got older and I found out, well, you know, um, and, and you meet people who, you know, and you come into yourself. Right. And yeah, I wanted children and, uh, I, uh, I have them. And mm-hmm. so, uh, and we have a wonderful kids. Our neighbor yesterday took um, the kids to the zoo. He asks to do things a lot with them. And he told a man, he's like, these are some of the best behaved kids ever. He's like, these are beautiful children. Congratulations. Like, you know, because it takes a lot of effort to do that, obviously. Yes. Amanda is 100% responsible for that. These kids are amazing. And she's, we're fortunate enough that she gets to stay home and, you know, be a stay-at-home mom while I'm working. And so, you know, we have that traditional family, you know, that you see, but the gender role doesn't play. It's just that we have a stay-at-home parent, we have a working parent, and then we have a home, and we have kids doing baseball and swim team and soccer and sleepovers, you know, and not flushing the toilet. (laughs) Oh, my God. We have to end with the toilet thing. Okay. You all... Michelle said at the beginning that she wanted to tell you about this toilet. We okay because we're almost out of time, so you've got to close with the toilet. It's the Govid flush. I'm sorry, and the Govid flush. Govid flush. So Govid flush. So Govid because when you got to go right. So the statistics say that 65 percent of people who in public use their foot to flush a toilet. Okay. And I say the statistics are wrong because they should just rephrase that and say 35% of the people lie. Because <laughs> everybody flushes the, 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 the public toilets with their foot, you know? Yes. So opening this place here, and I'm a, I have a real weird thing about bathrooms and public restrooms, you know, because they're nasty. And as women, I mean, I would say 99% of the women feel the same way I do. I agree. They're you know? disgusting. They all. 
Yeah. So, so, and I, and I've got another invention that's going to fix the other part of it, but this it fixes the first part. So we don't, we use their feet because you don't want to touch anything. It's so freaking gross. Yes. And people are gross. Even, even well off people are just disgusting in bathrooms. They do behaviors that they won't fucking admit to, you know? <laughs> so, and, and I want to call you all out on it. Like, you know, like if you're going to fucking hover, at least lift the seat, lift the seat and hover and put it back down. So therefore no one knows you hovered when we walk in behind you. Okay. Oh Cause I don't want to clean your fucking mess up. Yep. I agree. All right. I hate to hover. <laughs> I'm sucking cleaning toilets all the time. So like, if you are a hoverer, lift the fucking lid, hover and replace it. It's that easy. That, that's easy. So now I've taken away touching the toilet after that. It's like, you know, there's a foot flush and it's uh, this thing is patent pending. You it's, it's any, any toilet in the United States, any toilet it has a hand flusher on it. This can be adapted to it, installed easily, and you never have to use the handle again. The handle's still there. Doesn't doesn't modify your thing at all. No power requirements. No electricity. No batteries. No nothing. Modifies it one hundred percent. And can we all try said COVID flusher at OTR Stillhouse? Yes. Every female stall has it in it, and in the men's room, the men's stalls. So you know, men they had the urinals. So yeah. Don't need it there. Sure, sure, sure. And then so, and in the women's restroom, all you hoverers out there, um, we have a hand sanitizer in the stalls. So when you do lift the lid, thank you for doing that. Use the hand sanitizer and sanitize in there. Wonderful. That's so okay. Yeah. So making it really easy for you. I've got another dimension to fix that hoverer situation, but I, I, that, that's going to take some time. But. That Govid flush is a is a stainless steel solid fucking uh, rock. You can't. I mean, and, I can't uh, wait to see it. I was there, but pretty. I didn't go into the bathroom. Hey, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. It's functional. You know, when I sell the patent to Kohler, when nice. I or Standard, yes, or whoever, when I sell the patent to them, they'll th- their designers will make it pretty. Okay, and then okay. they'll probably make it fucking plastic too. But it's, this is a metal solid stainless steel thing. You know, and you know, uh, it's it's bolted to the floor, so people you can't steal it. It's bolted to the floor, people. So don't try to um, steal it. That's what she's don't saying. Don't try to steal my flush. Don't steal so, the flush. Don't steal the good flush. I know you can't. I mean, and and they they weigh they're a lot of weight. So yeah, so it's here. Come come uh, come put the pedal to the metal. <laughs> and, it, and it's like okay. this. You 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 you've got to you know you go pee. You you just tap it short and it's flush. You you need a little bit more. Water, got a little bit more business going on in the toilet. Just hold it just like you would the handle. Just hold the foot down. And when you're done, let it go. Michelle, uh, we this this has been quite a ride with you. Okay. I just can't even it's <laughs> so amazing. Uh I, I like legit, thank you so much. I you know, I, I, oh, like, I appreciate love yeah. hanging with you and you are you crack me up. But more so, you're a good inspiration for women, especially on entrepreneurs. And you've brought so much to the city. So thank you. Oh, that's sweet. Thanks. And, and I was in with people like invest in people. If you've got good people working for you guys out there, invest in them. Yeah. Amen, sister. The time to do that. Did you like how I brought the amen with the, um, the reborn Born again? Born again. Yeah, there it is. Born again. You want to be a disciple? Is that you telling me you're going to be a disciple? <laughs> I'll be a shell disciple. Yes. Be a disciple. Yeah. 
You sing from my hymnal? From your hymnal. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod. <laughs>